Buckner, dead center, 31 yards out. Kansas State outlasts TCU. And they are Big 12 champions for the first time in a decade. And after fighting from behind in the fourth quarter yet again, Sonny Dyke's offense comes up inches short in the top of the first in overtime. He chose to trust his offensive line and try to punch it in, not settle for three. Duggan, a tremendous job. Most would say this is enough, but it'll be, as Dykes told us yesterday, still kind of an anxious evening. Welcome to the Chatting Yardage Podcast, presented by Sports Strength. Now, here's your host, Cam Matthews. Welcome to your friendly neighborhood college football podcast. Welcome to... Chatting Yardage, part of the Chatting Average family and brought to you by our friends at Sports Drink. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the show. I am your host, Mr. Cam Matthews. As always, you can find me on Twitter at HeyCam93. You can also follow the show, be part of the conversation at Chatting Yardage. Conference championship games have been uh, have been decided and played. Some close, some uh, some blowouts mixed in here and there, but otherwise another entertaining weekend of football and then of course the big happening ha- goes on on Sunday uh, or a bowl selection Sunday so to speak where we find out the four teams destined for this year's playoff we also find out who's going to be playing uh, the New Year's six games which will actually be played on January 2nd this year because of the first falling on a Sunday and uh, wisely college football doesn't want to compete against the NFL uh, since that is their day of the week but you know the final final game of the season. Uh, you know the other only two teams really in the FBS uh, are going to play two more games. Well, I guess technically there's Army Navy, which I don't think either of them are making a bowl this year. A uh, bit of a disappointing season for both, but nonetheless, uh, still a lot of football action to talk about as we go all the way through bowl season. Which you know the plan for the show. As of now, you know, as long as you guys are going to keep listening, we're we're going to keep the show going throughout bowl season. Uh, we'll talk about games of that week, uh, games from the previous week. We may start diving a little bit more into FCS action uh, as they work through their current uh, playoff period, and you know, and look to crown a FCS national champion. Uh, in the coming weeks, uh, but speaking of speaking of games and scores and everything, we'll go ahead and take a look back at last week's scores. Of course, uh, we'll go ahead and dive into the pick six games of the week for last week, which are six games that I found interesting and I believe you should have as well. And of course, these were the bigger conference championship games that were on uh, on the on the docket uh, for last uh, Friday and Saturday uh, in the Pac-12 championship on Friday night Utah takes down USC 47 to 24 a game that 
USC jumped out early in and then the seemingly let Utah storm right back into things. They managed to tie it before halftime and then just took over in the second half. Uh, this was a game that knocked the Trojans out of playoff contention. Uh, you know, And I said it last week that if, if there was a team that absolutely had to win their conference championship game, it was Southern Cal. They absolutely had to. Um, and because they lost in such a dramatic way to Utah, that immediately knocked them out. And, you know, that caused so much intrigue going into Saturday of like, okay, well, what happens if TCU loses? You know, what does that mean for an Ohio State or an Alabama? And, you know, of course, we saw that happen. Uh, that'll be our next game. We'll talk about Kansas State takes down TCU 31-28 to in overtime. Uh, you know, of course, this was the second meeting between these two schools, as was Utah-USC. Utah took both games uh, between them and the Trojans. Kansas State, meanwhile, manages to split the series and take the Big 12 championship with it uh, in overtime. You know, questionable plays in this game. Um, I think, you know, Max Duggan, you know, his heroics throughout the game are going to be lauded. Uh, you know, there's plenty to question and wonder about on both sides, but just a really fun back and forth game. A game that, you know, if, if you really didn't have a horse in this race, this is one of those conference championship games that, you know, you really enjoyed watching because it was just so back and forth. TCU had to come storming back to force overtime. Kansas State manages to kick a, you know, walk-off field goal against the Horned Frogs. TCU gets stood up on the goal line seemingly in overtime. Just a heck of a back and forth game, but, you know, I mentioned it last week and it had been said, you know, TCU could theoretically afford a loss in this game. And, you know, there's, there's a school of thought that, a school shouldn't be punished for playing an extra game, a la conference championship game. Uh, and I think that showed to be true here by them forcing it to be a close game. Now, if they had lost in regulation, you know, 31 to 10 or something along those lines, then maybe they might not have made the playoff. But because they were able to storm back, force overtime, keep it close, uh, you know, I think that protected them in a way. And, you know, there was still a lot of still a lot of talk about does Alabama get in somehow? Does Ohio State jump up to number three? But, you know, we'll, we'll dive into that later when we talk about the, the final top 10 rankings for the CFP. Uh, LSU falls to Georgia 50-30, to uh, a game that was in hand the vast majority uh, uh, of the the entire game by the Bulldogs. Um, you know, there was that brief period right after halftime that LSU, you know, tried to make it interesting, but then Georgia had a huge, huge stop on fourth down, and that kind of squashed any momentum, and so that, you know, Georgia wins by 20, uh, completes its perfect season, you know, takes a SEC championship along with it as the number one overall seed. Uh, to the AAC, the American Athletic Conference, uh, Tulane takes down UCF, continues to build on their impressive season. 45-28 to is your final score there. Uh, again, Tulane kind of being one of the, one of the surprising teams uh, of this year. You know, you talk a lot about a TCU or, you know, you even talk a bit about uh, a Vanderbilt who who has exceeded expectations this year, you know, compared to previous seasons. You talk about a team like UConn uh, who's going bowling this year, as crazy as that sounds. But, you know, Tulane, a team that had not been ranked in, in well over a couple of decades, uh, cracked into the top 25 and stayed there, you know, and now is an AAC champion. Uh, for this season, uh, and so you know they're they're going to go to a pretty good bowl game uh, later on this season, and of course I, I'm not going to this week I'm not going to dive too much into 
the entire bowl game slate uh, because we're going to do plenty of talking between now and the end of the season about each and every bowl game just because you know, I like to preview six games every week, and there should be some weeks where I'll get to do that, and there might be some weeks where I don't, but, um, you know, plenty of bowl games to talk about uh, forthcoming this year. Uh, but, you know, Tulane, again, hats off to them. Uh, I believe we gave them an extra point a few weeks ago when they cracked into the top 25, and rightfully so. In the Big Ten, Michigan handles Purdue 43-22, a game that was kind of close in the beginning, and then Michigan just more or less took off and and pretty much cemented themselves as the number two seed uh, in the CFP. And then in the ACC, uh, Carolina gets blown out by Clemson 39-10, a game that it just felt like... In the first half, you know, looking at stats, Carolina was controlling the game from time of possession to yards and just could not find the end zone other than on their opening drive where they uh, scored and jumped out seven to nothing. But then from there, it was pretty much all Clemson uh, as Carolina just could not get anything going and a couple of key turnovers and a blocked field goal and, you know, just kind of one of those games where nothing seems to go right. Um, And every team has those uh, now and then, but more or less, Carolina now loses three in a row. Nothing's going right as of late, and they get the uh, fun draw of playing Oregon in the Holiday Bowl coming up on December 28th. Clemson, meanwhile, uh, takes back the ACC championship after an off year last year in terms of uh, in terms of hardware, but uh, you know, winning the conference championship still not enough for the Tigers uh, coming off of a two-loss season. And of course, the big news coming out of Clemson uh, after the after that game, DJ Uolungavale, uh transferring out of the program. A bit of a, a bit of a shock, but I don't think as much of a shock as it is if someone had told you that at the beginning of this year. Um, DJ just absolutely struggled this season. Did not uh, did not play uh, in the ACC championship game, at least not very much. So. Uh, I, you know, hats off to him. Look forward to see maybe where he lands. You know, the speculation, of course, is that he heads back out to the West Coast. And, you know, I think for him to potentially go to a team like a like a UCLA or, um, you know, potentially an Oregon or, you know, or somebody along those those lines who uh, who may be looking for a new quarterback next year, uh, would cert- he'd certainly be a top prospect at this point. Few other conference championship scores in Conference USA. UTSA takes down North Texas 48 to 27. The Roadrunners uh, hoist the trophy there in the MAC. Toledo defeats Ohio 17 to 7 in the Sun Belt. Uh, Troy defeats Coastal Carolina 45 to 26. I think a game that a lot of folks expected to be a little bit closer, but uh, you know Troy pretty much was in control of that one from the get go. In the Mountain West, Fresno State defeats Boise State 28 to 16 on the Smurf turf. Of course, you know that game being played at home at Boise State, but Fresno State. Uh, able to take that one. And then uh, one of note from the FCS, of course, Jackson State completes its undefeated campaign by defeating Southern for the SWAC championship. 43-24 to uh, is your final there. And, of course, we'll have plenty to talk about Jackson State further on in today's show. Looking at the top 10 for the CFP, we'll run through that just ever so quickly. Uh, number 10, USC, finishes out their season 11-2, and two, dropping six spots all the way down to number 10. Kansas State finishes at number 9, Utah number 8, Clemson number 7, Tennessee 6, Alabama 5, 
And then your top four for the playoff, Ohio State, number four, TCU, number three, Michigan, number two, and Georgia, number one, to the surprise of absolutely nobody. Well, that's enough rambling uh, for the beginning of the show. We'll go ahead and dive into our first segment. This is Four Down Territory. First Down. If you were shaking your head late Sunday morning and saying the college football playoff committee got it wrong, well, they actually got it right. Two lost teams, including Alabama, were shunned, and TCU, widely considered to be in great peril should it lose the Big 12 Conference Championship game, didn't move a spot. There was buzz that championship weekend upheaval, and there was plenty of that with TCU and USC both losing. Would Alabama get back into national championship contention? It did not. Apparently, that buzz did not reach the selection committee. The final four of Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and Ohio State is consistent with the very mission statement that appears on the college football playoffs website, saying, quote, The selection committee ranks the teams based on the members' evaluation of the team's performance on the field, using conference championships one, strength of schedule, head-to-head results, and comparison of results against common opponents to decide among teams that are comparable. Obviously, the committee was impressed with TCU's on-field performance as the Horned Frogs went through the entire regular season with no losses compared to Alabama's two. TCU got tripped up in a conference championship game. Alabama did not play a championship game. TCU's one-loss finish comes against a schedule ranked number 13 by Jeff Sagarin, the guru of computer rankings for college teams since before the 3.5-inch floppy disk even existed. Alabama's schedule is ranked number 31. Number Number four seed Ohio State has the number 44 ranked schedule, but here the committee doubled down on the on field competition. Number one in its list of criteria, as the Buckeyes have just one loss. Number five, Alabama's consolation prize is that it's the committee's highest ranked two loss team, even ahead of a Power Five conference champion in Clemson at number seven. The arguments of what would happen if Alabama and TCU played have no merit based on the committee's mission statement. But if you went strictly by the overall rankings of Sagarin, whose formula was part of the BCS process, the top four would actually be Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, and Michigan. But the committee at its inception established its own criteria and has stuck to it. The good news, of course, is that expansion is coming in 2024. A 12-team field that would have included both Ole Miss and Mississippi State in 2014 and Ole Miss in 2015. Think about that. The locals and a football playoff for the national championship. The human element guarantees the selection process will always end in an argument, but so did the BCS. Humans just like to argue At least soon we'll be arguing about the 12th spot, and not the 4th. Second down. Deion Sanders is taking over as head coach at Colorado, bringing his charisma and larger-than-life persona to a beleaguered Pac-12 program that's plunged to the bottom of college football. The deal was announced Saturday night by CU Athletic Director Rick George. The Pro Football Hall of Famer has been at Jackson State, a historically black college that plays in the NCAA's second tier of Division I since 2020. Sanders has guided the Tigers to consecutive Southern Southwestern Athletic Conference titles. The Tigers beat Southern in the SWAC championship game Saturday in Jackson, Mississippi, and a few hours later, Colorado announced he was coming to Boulder. 
Sanders told his team after the game he had accepted another job but intended to coach Jackson State in the Celebration Bowl for historically black colleges on December 17th in Atlanta against Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference champion North Carolina Central. The Tigers went 27-5 in the Sanders era, and he was named SWAC Coach of the Year the last two seasons. Known as primetime during his high-stepping playmaking NFL career, the 55-year-old Sanders prefers Coach Prime these days. Colorado will prove a challenge for the magnetic Sanders, who inherits a program coming off of a 1-11 season. But he brings instant name recognition and a track record of being able to recruit top-level talent. The Buffaloes have turned in just one full-length winning season since joining the Pac-12 in 2011. They dismissed Carl Durrell in October, and interim coach Mike Sanford finished out the season that culminated in a 63-21 blowout loss to number 12 Utah at home. Colorado is a long way from its glory days under Hall of Fame coach Bill McCartney, who led the Buffaloes to a national championship following the 1990 season. While the program is trying to build up its name, image, and likeness portfolio, establishing the Buffs for Life Foundation to help out student-athletes, Colorado also has seen several players announce their intention in recent days of entering the transfer portal. Sanders figures to bring a few players along with him, possibly even his son, quarterback Shador Sanders, a 6'2 sophomore at Jackson State who has thrown 36 touchdown passes this season with just six interceptions. Sanders had a standout NFL career with the 49ers and Cowboys. Deion Sanders was an All-American at Florida State before a standout career with five different teams, where he won a Super Bowl twice. He also played nine MLB seasons and reached the World Series with the Atlanta Braves in 1992. Over the years, Sanders was an analyst and the star of reality TV shows and commercials, including Aflac spots with Alabama head coach Nick Saban. Of course, Jackson State hired Sanders in September of 2020 after he coached his sons at a fledgling Texas high school that was fraught with issues. Moving to Jackson State at the time, Sanders called the fit a match made in heaven and quickly lifted the school in Mississippi's capital. The success of Jackson State was significant as it made a program that that has produced Hall of Famers such as Walter Payton, Lim Barney, Jackie Slater, and Robert Brazil relevant again among HBCUs and Sanders was determined to keep it that way. The arrival of Deion Sanders raised Jackson State's visibility. They were on the cover of Sports Illustrated in July, a feature on how Sanders rebuilt the program, and saw ESPN's College Game Day pay a visit to Jackson State back in October. Sanders has also appeared on a 60 Minutes and Profile Story. Jackson State Athletic Director Ashley Robinson said in a statement, Sanders, quote, challenged norms and transferred transformed mindsets what was perceived to be possible, create new visions for success while inspiring the community and creating a spotlight on the HBCU sports and culture. Sanders told the team he was recommending to Robinson and the Jackson State administration that receivers coach T.C. Taylor be the next head coach. Sanders has scored big on the recruiting trail, landing five-star defensive back Travis Hunter and four-star receiver Kevin Coleman for this year's squad. Sanders told the Associated Press in October in an October podcast that both players chose JSU because he and his staff will prepare them for careers in the NFL. Deion Sanders' stature transcends sports, and his hiring elevates not only the football program, but the university as a whole, Colorado Boulder Chancellor Philip DiStefano said. This is an exciting new chapter in the long-storied history of Colorado football 
and I look forward to standing shoulder to shoulder with our students, supporters, and fans to cheer on Coach Prime and our student-athletes next fall. Third down. UTSA got a huge boost on Wednesday when star quarterback Frank Harris announced he would return for his seventh season after securing a new NIL deal. Harris, arguably the greatest player in UTSA history, holds 34 different school records. On Friday, he threw for 341 yards and four touchdowns to lead the Roadrunners to their second straight Conference USA championship. Harris completed 71% of his passes this year for 3,865 yards, 31 touchdowns, and ran for 588 yards and nine touchdowns as the the Roadrunners, who were ranked number 25 in the college football playoffs final ranking, are headed to the Cure Bowl. Now with UTSA headed to the AAC next season, Coach Jeff Trailer lobbied his fans to ante up the name, image, and likeness money to help keep Harris in San Antonio after the CUSA title game. I'd make it really hard for him to leave, Trailer said afterward. He's fun to watch. That's the best money you could ever spend. On Wednesday, Harris made his official announcement at the offices of the PM Group, a San Antonio advertising, marketing, and branding agency. The San Antonio Express News reported that PM Group CEO Bob Wills said they had worked out a deal in the six-figure range and that the agency had, quote, agreed to fund the NIL compensation to secure the Conference USA MVP. No actual figures were disclosed. It's one of the most interesting cases of NIL yet at the Group 5 level, allowing a team to retain the face of the program who could have gone to the NFL or even jumped to a bigger school. Harris redshirted his, in his first season in 2017, missing all of 2018 with an injury, then was limited to just four games the next season after suffering yet another season-ending injury. After both the red shirt and medical red shirts, he is eligible for a seventh season due to the COVID waiver granted to players by the NCAA. He is responsible for more than 10,000 yards of total offense at UTSA. Trailer, who is a finalist for, Eddie, for the Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year Award and was named Conference USA Coach of the Year on Wednesday, said he was appreciative of the city's support to keep Harris and, con- and would continue to build the fledgling program, which went 12-2 last year and 11-2 so far this season. Trailer said, It's going to take a huge commitment from a lot of people within the city. We might not, make as m- we might not have as many billionaires as some cities do, but we've got a bunch of people. If everybody gives just a little... Those kids are really fun to watch. Fourth down. Army and Navy first met on the field on November 29, 1890, and have met annually since 1930. The game has been held at several locations throughout its history, including New York City, Baltimore, but has most frequently been played in Philadelphia, a roughly equidistant city between the two academies. Historically played on the Saturday after Thanksgiving, a date on which most other major college football teams end their regular seasons, the game is now played on the second Saturday in December and is traditionally the last regular season game played in NCAA Division I football. For much of the first two-thirds of the 20th century, both Army and Navy were often national powers and the game occasionally had national championship implications. However, since 1963, only the 1996 2010, 2016, and 2017 games have seen both teams enter with winning records. Nonetheless, the game is considered a college football institution. 
It has aired nationally on radio since 1930 and has been nationally televised on broadcast network every year since 1945. Some participants in the Army-Navy game have gone on to professional football careers. For example, quarterback Roger Staubach went on to the Hall of Fame career with the Dallas Cowboys that included starting at quarterback and two Super Bowl victories, including, including being named the MVP of Super Bowl VI, and Alejandro Villanueva was later an offensive tackle with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens. He graduated from Army in 2010. The game is the last of three contests in the annual Commander-in-Chief's Trophy Series, awarded to each season's winner of the Triangular Series among Army, Navy, and Air Force since 1972. The rivalries Army and Navy have with Air Force are much less intense, of course, than the Army-Navy rivalry, primarily due to the relative youth of the USAFA established in 1954 and the physical distance between the Air Force Academy and the two other schools. The Army Air Force and Navy Air Force games are usually played at the Academy's regular home fields, although on occasion they have been hosted on a neutral site. Since 1901, there have been 10 sitting presidents of the United States to attend the Army-Navy game. The first was Theodore Roosevelt, who attended the game in 1901 and 1905. Harry S. Truman attended all but one edition during his eight years in office, missing the 1951 game due to vacation. George W. Bush, Bush and Donald Trump each showed up three different times. Trump also attended a game as a president-elect in 2016. John F. Kennedy showed up twice in 1961 and 62. And then Woodrow Wilson, Calvin Coolidge, Gerald Ford, Bill Clinton, and Barack Obama each attended the game just once. Now, instead of doing a pick six this week, we just have one game to highlight, and that, of course, is this coming weekend's installment of the Army-Navy game. That game will take place this Saturday at 3 p.m. on CBS. Hey everybody, this is Alex Butler here with this week's Mascot Minute, where we take a deep dive into some of your favorite collegiate mascots. Today, we're going to take a look at Otto the Orange from Syracuse University. The Syracuse mascot was originally a Native American character named the Saltine Warrior. Syracuse's unofficial nickname is the Salt City. The character was born out of a hoax in which it was claimed that a 16th century Native American chief was unearthed while digging the foundation for the women's gymnasium in 1928. In the mid-1950s, the father of a Lambda Chi Alpha fraternity brother owned a cheerleading camp. He made a saltine warrior costume for his son to wear at Syracuse football games. Thus began a nearly 40-year tradition of Lambda Chi brothers serving as Syracuse University's mascot. In 1990, however, the university opened up the mascot traditions to the entire student body. In December 1977, Native American students successfully petitioned the university to discontinue the saltine warrior citing the mascot's stereotypical portrayal of Native Americans. The mascot was discontinued in 1978. During the 1978 season, the university introduced a Roman gladiator dressed in orange armor, but the idea proved largely unpopular among fans who regularly booed the mascot. In the 1980s, a new Syracuse University mascot emerged and was described as a juiced-up, bumbling citrus fruit from which two legs protrude and quickly became popular on campus. Then the mascot was simply known as the Orange. In 
In the summer of 1990, the cheerleaders and mascots were at a cheerleading camp in Tennessee, and the students who were chosen to suit up in the costume narrowed the field down to two potential names, Opie and Otto. As a new orange costume was made, it was concluded that the name Opie would lead to the inevitable rhyme with Dopey, and settled on Otto. Later that fall, word got out that the cheerleaders were calling the latest mascot costume Otto, and the name stuck. For 17 years, the university did not settle on an official mascot until the chancellor appointed a group of students and faculty to create a mascot and logo. University administration considered introducing a new mascot, but the student body supported Otto. He was recognized as the official mascot of Syracuse University in December of 1995 by Chancellor Buzz Shaw. In 2016, Otto was named one of the top 10 mascots in college football by Sports Illustrated. Are there any mascots that you'd like us to feature on the show? Hit us up at Chatting Yardage on Twitter and let us know. Once again, this has been Alex Butler with your Mascot Minute. The Extra Point. After 2021, Michigan became the first team to make the playoff, despite being unranked in the preseason, we now have the first playoff participant that started the season without any AP votes at all. 2022, TCU did not receive their first votes until after they beat SMU in Week 4 when one voter put them at 25th. Then in Week 5, they beat number 18 Oklahoma and were subsequently ranked number 17. The last time the Horned Frogs were ranked before that was in week three of 2019 when they were number 25 before losing to an SMU team that at the time was coached by Sonny Dykes. So playing us out this week are those scrappy underdogs. All hail the Hypnotoad as we hear the TCU marching band and the TCU fight song. Until next week, I'm Cam Matthews. This has been the Chatting Yardage Podcast, brought to you by Sports Drink. Want to be part of the conversation? Follow the show on Twitter, at Chatting Yardage. We'll see you next week for another brand new episode.